Welcome, this is Crosstown Conversations, and it's Gene Nathan, and I think you're going to enjoy our guests today. They're pretty special people. We're going to start with um, John Cummings, who's the designer and developer of the Whitney Plantation, which attempts to tell the real story of slavery in Louisiana. He's our first guest, and the second guest is going to be the wonderful Phyllis Jordan, who is going to talk about this great book fair this weekend and books in general. That may not sound scintillating, but trust me, she's really interesting. All right. So I have John Cummings with me right now, and um, I've been fascinated for a long time about what John has done with a place called the Whitney Plantation. Uh, but my curiosity was piqued again when I saw an ad that he ran in the Times-Picayune and the Advocate this past weekend, um, essentially trying to make sure that a rumor that was out there about the Confederate monuments landing at the Whitney Plantation was um, nixed, that that just plain wasn't true. Um, but again, it just kind of reminded me, oh yeah, the Whitney Plantation has done what we should have done and should do, and that is to really talk about the history of slavery in general and in, and in Louisiana. So I've always been curious, John, why, why did you do this? Well, there's no white horse or lightning striking. Very simple. I had a law practice. I had offices in New Orleans, Philadelphia, and Seattle, and I became very successful and would have Uncle Sam and the bartender let me keep invested in real estate. And when this piece of property came on the market, I bought it uh, and just added it to a portfolio of very promising real estate. The property came with an eight-volume study that had been required by the state uh, Formosa Chemical thought to build a rayon plant there, and before any permits would be granted, this study was required. When I bought it, I covered all of the buildings in plastic to try to stop any further deterioration and didn't know what I was going to do with it. It was just a piece of real estate. As I looked through those volumes, I read the volume about the architecture, and it was very, very interesting. But what changed my life is when I got to the one about the successions, successive ownership, when, when the owner died and, and then it was passed on to others. Every succession has an inventory. And when I looked at these inventories, for the first time in my life, I realized that the second and most valuable asset on the plantation were human beings. And it was chilling to read them. Now, I've handled many successions myself as an attorney, but I've never seen an inventory like this where the slaves were listed and it'd be a name, for example, 
Reuben, 24 years old. His job on the plantation was was a uh, blacksmith. Any any comments that that were to be made, and then a value in either f Spanish, French, or American currency, depending on depending on who was in charge at the time. And I asked myself, why didn't I know this? Here I was in my 60s, I had done well, and I had fooled a lot of people in the community that thought I was an upstanding fellow. I taught at the law school and practiced law successfully in three different states. And it just, it got me angry that I didn't know that. And so I, uh, I found an old history book, I think it was my fourth grade book. I'm not sure, but it was a fourth grade history book and I, I thought it was one that I'd gotten. And in it, S-L-A-V-E was, was there. The story wasn't told. I thought to myself, well, if I don't know it, then most of the people with the same color skin that I have really do not know it. And so after that, I, I discovered the oral histories of the slaves. And the first one I read really knocked the bottom out of my stomach. This was a woman 104 years old. It was taken during the, right at the Depression when Works Progress Administration was combing the South to find ex-slaves and transcribing them. And I believe they transcribed maybe 2,500. I have two, over 2,000 and I've read a thousand of them. And sooner or later I'll get to the one where the woman wasn't raped, uh, her children weren't sold away from her, or the husband wasn't killed or beaten to within an inch of his life. But I haven't gotten to that yet. I then discovered the oral histories. Um, and the first one I read uh, made my stomach drop out. And I think of it every day. This woman was 104 years old when she gave a testimony. And she said, Mama sent for us in the fields and told us to come to the quarters because we're going to Texas. At that time, Texas, of course, was a slave state. And it was close to the end of the war when, when the outcome of the war was fairly obvious. But many of the slave owners thought that if they could get their slaves to Texas, they wouldn't have to free them because Congress had guaranteed ownership of, uh, of slaves in Texas. Of course, we had a major war to determine the enforceability of that. But anyhow, she said, when I got to the quarters, there was wagons, and all the women and the children were in the wagons, and the men had to march behind from the Mississippi River to Texas. And this next part is where uh, my life changed.
She said, and that's when Mama told us that Papa couldn't come because he belonged to another plantation. She said, I never saw my Papa again, and I longed for him, and I know he longed for me. And I just sat there, and I had an emotion that I can't really describe to anyone. I've never had it before. But it was mixed with so many feelings of, of guilt and, and um, of a need to inquire as to why I did not know these things. And of course what it was was that that part of the education was withheld from all of us in my area. And <clears throat> all of us here, there, there are exceptions, but most of my Caucasian friends, including me, are recovering racists. We're not bad. We never had slaves, never would. But, you know, we participated in segregation. I knew that those kids didn't get the same education I did. They didn't have the same type of clothes. Couldn't talk the way I talked. And, and yet, many people can't connect that experience to slavery. They were forbidden to have education of any type. Recently, I've had the pleasure to work on the Georgetown Memory Project with Richard Cellini. And I think that the Jesuit priests in Maryland had, had relations with the slave women and Children were born, and whenever there was a scandal, the priest would just sell the child and the woman back into slavery. And they were building Georgetown University. And the construction was in trouble. They were greatly in debt. And so they rounded up 272 slaves, put them on two boats. That they owned. Two, 272 slaves that were owned by their province and sold them into Louisiana. A former governor of Louisiana named Johnson was a United States Senator at the time, and he bought a number of them. And his plantation was near Maraguan, Louisiana, between Baton Rouge and Lafayette. And the priests had made it clear that they, that what they were doing was uh, almost holy. One priest said, it's true that slavery is evil, but it's not irredeemable because it gives us an opportunity to take these heathens and put them in union with Jesus Christ who spilled his precious blood and all of that business. Well, the fact of the matter is we, we looked into it and for a period of 12 years, uh, on the Bohemia plantation, those slaves didn't get any, any religious education at all. Uh, so bad that Rome sent a visitor priest who found another, a Jesuit priest there beating a naked slave woman in chains with a whip. Anyhow, there are many astounding facts
and they're all bad, but what are we doing at the Whitney? We have tried to not sugarcoat anything. We have a bust of Nicholas V, a pope, who in 1452 was the most powerful man in the world. We had no Protestants. He was a pope of all Christianity. And King Alphonse of Portugal at that time was a defender of, of Nicholas V, and he, he let everybody know that if they harmed the pope, that his army would come to see them. So, he, But the pope then wrote a, a uh, papal bull. It's the highest expression of the church. It was called Dum Diversa, which means until further notice. He praised King Alphonse and said that when said that King Alphonse was the strongest soldier in the army of Jesus Christ. And that when he died, legions of angels would bring him to heaven. And to reward King Alphonse, he gave to Portugal the right to reduce Africans to perpetual slavery. The Pope. And there are 11 other popes that were deeply involved in that question. Um, for example, Pope Pius IX, during the Civil War, received as an as an ambassador one of Jefferson Davis's generals. And when after the war, when Jefferson Davis was in prison, that pope sent a crown of thorns to Jefferson Davis. War was over in 1865. 1866, the Pope of all Christianity wrote a proclamation that slavery was, does not offend the natural law or any divine laws. So it's all sort of confusing. And what we have to do is just give the facts, you know, just have the facts there. Let things fall where they may. And the reason for that is, I spoke, uh, just mentioned to you about the Georgetown project. But now, for the first time, because of this research by Richard Cellini, we have an opportunity to create the empirical study That will prove that many of the problems we see today within race relations was caused by slavery, and we're experiencing the hangover from slavery. We can trace now, generation from generation, say take 1865, we can find newspaper uh, articles that are extant, police records, um, and we will know what the, what the educational opportunities were and what the job opportunities were, who got hung, who stole the property, all of those things, and bring it down where some conclusions can be reached. The other thing that we, that we preach there at the, at the Whitney is that sometimes 
Racism isn't black and white. Sometimes it's educated and uneducated. And, and people in higher education, blacks and whites, generally get along fine. They date each other. They don't fight. They marry each other. Maybe they start fighting then, but, uh, but they, they marry and they're doing fine. So what we have to do, a great takeaway from that, Whitney, is that we must insist that we have more, I mean all children, but especially African-American children, we have to make sure that the universities accept them and they graduate from universities. Because we can't rewrite history, but we can write most of the wrongs of history with education. And that's another pillar of our ministry at the, at the Whitney. So it's interesting that you call it a ministry because that goes beyond my knowledge. And I'll be honest with you, John, I haven't been there yet. That is... Um, God's going to mark you off. I, that's wrong on my part. Uh, I, I have been heavily involved in a lot of the recovery since the storm and just working too much and too little staff. No excuses. You're right. Okay. But so uh, you, you speak of it as a, as a mission and, and uh, not just a, a, um, a, in a sense, a museum. But tell me, when somebody goes to the Whitney Plantation, what are they going to see? And what are they going to experience? Well, we have, um, we have a field with 18 large walls. And on those walls are granite plaques, two feet by six feet. And we have a lot of 100,000 names of enslaved people who were in Louisiana through 1820. And on every plaque, we have two quotes from an actual slave. And you, you walk there and you read from the plaques and there's and it's been reported time and time again that the that the our, our visitors I guess feel as though someone is speaking to them someone who never had a voice when they were here we have the field of angels where we have a walled area with plaques again with the names of 2,200 enslaved children who died before their third birthday, just in St. John the Baptist Parish. The names of their mothers and how old they were, what their name was. And we've recently opened a new display commemorating the uprising of 1811, where on the east bank of the Mississippi River, four or five hundred slaves on January the 8th of 1811 rose up, killed their masters, secured all of the weapons they could find, burned some of the houses, and started to march to New Orleans where they were going to 
free all of the slaves and commandeer some vessels, I guess, and take take these slaves either to Haiti or to Mexico. They were intercepted about 20 miles, the slaves were, downriver, near the, what we call the uh, spillway. And there the army militia was waiting for them and killed 35 of these slaves. And they killed 15 soldiers. And they were all surrounded. The, the slaves ran out of ammunition. And all the women and children were sent home and the men were arrested and tried. And the jury was a judge and five slave owners. They were all found guilty, sentenced to death. They would be taken back to their, to their plantations and shot in front of all of the other slaves. Then they were to be beheaded and their heads placed on wooden pikes. And they were close to where the slaves would work every day and see them every day and, and smell the rotting flesh every day. And they stayed on the spikes until they eventually rotted and fell to the ground and some wild creature carried them off. So we have at the plantation now, just opened a month ago, skulls that were created by Woodrow Nash, celebrated African-American artist out of Akron, Ohio. And they're not on wooden pikes, but they're on stainless steel rods at different heights. And when the wind blew, blows, they move gently. It's a very sacred place. It's a place to reflect, to pray. And it, it puts things in perspective. For example, you would hear people say, well, who are these terrible ISIS people? They beheaded this French journalist. We should know that we, Caucasian people from Louisiana, we did it 60 times there in St. John the Baptist Parish. All were beheaded except Charles DeLon, who was the leader, and he was burned alive in front of all of the slave owners. All of these horrible, horrible things actually occurred. And we do receive, and people are very nervous about it. They, they have various reactions. They become emotional. They break down crying when they see these things. Uh, and we don't apologize for that. So we hope that if we can get enough people to come, and, and incidentally, we're not open three years, but we've already had 120,000 people who have come, and it's, and it's, uh, it's picking up month to month. We are in videos in, in 30 nations now. We think last year that we reached over 40 million people on videos in various countries. Every Friday night on Channel 3 in Paris, we're on. And we got a call just to, to, just to tell you that it's, it's something that's very interesting to a number of people. Um, we, had, um, we had the other day a call from a man who wanted to know if he and his wife could come 
to the plantation the next day. And he said he heard they were sold out and and he had been sent to me from uh, someone from the mayor's office. Turned out to be Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, and they came. And he was a little teary-eyed, Mark Zuckerberg, who's a, quite a nice fellow. Uh, Zuckerberg from... Facebook. Facebook, yeah. And we've had people who would call, and they said that they were from a certain foundation and they wanted to come see it. Well, of course, when this goes into the foundation that we're given to, and uh, we will be looking for contributions. Incidentally, the paperwork's been prepared to do that, and the entity is now self-sufficient. What's the name of the entity? And, and I, I want your website, and I, I just need to let you know that we're running over to where um, they're going to cut me off because um, uh, we have an hour for the whole show, including our other guests. So what is your website so that people can see exactly where you are located and also uh, where they can learn how to make a contribution? Because I think hearing what you're saying, I know that people are going to want to help you and, and I want to come see you, and I can tell you that I'm going to get there. Well, the... The, um, the website. Okay, I'm going to go with just WhitneyPlantation.com. And, y'all, it is located in Wallace, Louisiana, which is near Gramercy, right? Yeah, it's $15.99. It's between, it's between Laplace and Baton Rouge, and it's at exit 194. You, you get off of that highway, off the interstate, and then the... the, the uh, go towards the river, and there's a bridge. You go over the bridge. As soon as you get to the bottom, you just veer off, come back to the levee, turn right, and it's one mile downriver. Whitneyplantation.com. John, um, I, I just have to say, um, like you're saying, you didn't know. I feel like um, I, I feel really embarrassed that I haven't been there yet, and I'm going to get there. And I, I want to urge all our listeners, the Whitney plantation the story of slavery this is the way history should be told not the way some folks have been saying it should be told through some statues that revere confederate leaders so um thank you for um well, taking just, the time let, to let, talk let, to let me, me about say this. this because of a lack of education many of those people who feel that way uh, wouldn't feel that way if they came. If they came and they and would saw just this. open their hearts and just look at it. the story of slavery, Whitney Plantation. Thank you for having me. And John Cummings, thank you so much for what you've done and for coming. And now let's listen to Phyllis Jordan. I think you'll enjoy this, especially if you have kids. So we're here with Phyllis Jordan, who I know from some of her prior permutations in life which I'll let her tell you about in, in brief. Um, but she has currently become something of a, um, there's a word for people who love books. What's it? What? Bibli bibliophile. That's what I, I wanted yes. to say file. I, I couldn't word. remember the first part, bibliophile. Mm -hmm. and, um, but she is your clue and key to a big world of information 
and wonderful, wonderful publications that the Symphony Book Fair makes available to you. And this may sound like just your usual, oh, it's just another book fair. However, because we're in the city of New Orleans, there's all kinds of goodies that pop up. So, Phyllis, first of all, um, remind us who you are. Well, the Phyllis Jordan ends up being PJ, which ends up being PJ's Coffee, so I did that. Very nearly 40 years ago, I started that. <laughs> We're coming up on that anniversary. So I did that for quite some time, and I retired. And then I unretired, and I ran uh, the Green Project for many years. <clears throat> and I retired from that. But in both retirements, I have worked at Symphony Book Fair as a volunteer. So I'm back there now as the chairman, and um, I am a bibli- bibliophile. I just love seeing the books. But you know what I really have, the disease I really have is, I call it lack of bookophobia. It's the, the irrational uh, fear of not having enough books with me at any one time. <laughs> so when I travel, you know, part of my suitcase is filled up with multiple books. So, um, yeah, so lack of bookophobia is a word I'm trying to get into the lexicon. So, you know, books are such a f- uh, peculiar phenomena at this time in history because of course everybody have has their noses planted firmly right. in their their screens mm-hmm. and and read all kinds of things on their phones from and and watch all kinds of things from you know books and movies and what have you and yet somebody recently told me that book sales are up yes yes I, what the thing i have heard is that when the um, ebook phenomenon first came up they thought they would capture 40% of the market and what has happened is it has leveled off at 25% of the market. So real books are, are catching up, are, are coming back. And, and, you know, holding a book just gives you a different feel. And the other thing is if you're reading something, I read mostly fiction. So I'll be reading along and I'll forget who a character is. So I'll have to go back to the book, you know, someplace else in the book to find the character's description. Well, it's really hard to do that on an ebook. You have a much better feel for where that nugget of information was in a physical book. So it's also, um, you know, you, 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 when you're reading a book in your hands, you're sort of pulled into that world that is is being described in the book. Whereas on your phones, mm-hmm. it's at a distance from you. Yeah. You have that, that sensation of knowing that it's up in some cloud somewhere or on some bank of servers right. in Seattle. <laughs> That's right. You know, and but when it's in your hands, it, it's really part of you in a way. You yeah. own it mm-hmm. in a different way. The other thing is uh, the research is saying that having uh, doing things on your phone or, or your tablet, whatever, um, late at night is really bad for your sleeping habits. Whereas reading a book calms your brain down and gets you ready for sleep. So don't ever read an e-book as you go to bed. Well, I have to admit that I'm... Um, my uh, chill down pattern is very set that goes from a horrendous flood of cable shows covering the soap opera in Washington, (laughs) Washington. (laughs) which I can't resist, uh, to I have to then go to uh, the comics for the relief. So I catch the beginning of um, uh, Colbert. I catch the beginning of Seth. 
Then I go for the calm down to Charlie Rose and his yes. nice, quiet right. voice. That's right. His intimate little interviews, yes. which also are my mentoring process. <laughs> right. And then I check the weather on the news, mm-hmm. and then I check the New York Times uh-huh. on oh, my phone. Oh, you're bad. You can't for, get right No, no, bed. just for just a little bit now. What just about to, politics? For the, yeah, <gasps> for the last word, uh-huh. for, the last, for the real last word. And then I might have to hit a fashion magazine <laughs> just for pure, really thoughtless pleasure. Right. And then I go to sleep. <laughs> and by that time, I may have woken up. So much that right. I actually have to have some warm milk. To... <laughs> right. It's or... not a good pattern. Yeah, Let I... me just tell you that. It's I not really a good recommend pattern. a nice book. <laughs> yeah, but the trouble with books for me at my age is that I tend to fall asleep on them. That's fine. The book doesn't care. The book knows you'll be back. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're not hurting it at all. <laughs> I, and and as, you, as you can see, because we are actually recording this interview in my home, I'm surrounded with books. You are. And, I, and I'm a little bit of, um, I, I, I can't go into a bookstore without coming out with one. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. they, they collect, and then I'll, I'll at least read portions of them, if not all. I'm not like my husband, who literally skips through a book like a rock on the water. <laughs> right. Reads a, a little bit in the beginning, a little bit in the middle, oh. and a little bit at the end, and he, uh, and he gets uh, it. He said, okay, I got uh, that. Well, I'm hoping you'll be able to come to the Symphony Book Fair, which I want to put in this little plug here. Is uh, June second, third, and fourth at the Lakefront Arena. Basically, next weekend. Next weekend, and um, the the first six hours of the sale. So the first six hours of June second, we have an admission fee of fifteen dollars because that's when all the bibliophiles and book dealers and booksellers come to stock up the used bookstores from, and they come from all over the country. So a word to the wise: yes. if you want to catch the real gems, which we're going to talk about in right. a minute. You want to get in there when the pickers is what I call yes, them because yes. I'm an old antiquer too. <laughs> yes, right. You go to that flea market uh, early, right. otherwise you miss the real cool stuff. Well, the line starts forming at four o'clock in the morning. No. Yes, it does. It does. And then we don't. We open the doors at nine o'clock, and we know most of them because people been... will be online for five yes. hours. Yes. Yes. Because they might find a gem that's worth a thousand dollars. Well, and this is our sixty-fourth annual. Fair. Oh my goodness. So we have followers who have, have realized what we have. And like I said, we have book dealers from all over the country show up. Really? Because we have really good books in this town. And, you know, while I'm on the subject of fabulous books, don't, don't think that's all we have because we have plenty, plenty, plenty blockbusters and, and fiction of all sorts. Okay, so let's, yeah. go, let's go into okay. the inventory. Yes. <laughs> Run me down. Okay, well, we have 50 different categories that we sort into. So we have philosophy, and we have poetry and plays, and we have fiction that's semi-alphabetized and separated by dark, uh, by um, hardcover and softcover. We have science and nature. We have uh, religion. We have foreign language. We have a beautiful visual arts stock. Mm. Um, and of course, we have sheet music for the musicians um, in, our, in our area. Wow, I heard you think of that. And CDs. And the most important thing is that our fair is run, as I like to say, for people who have, a, who have a larger book appetite than their book budget. By which I mean, you can fill up your year's worth of reading in one day at our sale. 
and it was like it won't cost you an arm and a leg. Right, and and the the prices for your books are a fraction of yes. what you would pay for them in a in a bookstore, either new books or um, vintage. I have a oh here here's a Kurt Vonnegut book that I was going to show you for two dollars. It's a hardback by Kurt Vonnegut. Galapagos. Galapagos, yeah. Hmm. And that, that's I heard of that book, but I didn't yeah. read it. Of all of our, fiction, I might have to buy that. Yes, <laughs> all of our fiction is two dollars, except for a very wow. few. The things are still on the bestseller list. Yeah, and 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 and, and fiction books new. If you bought them today, are in a thirty dollars. Oh range. yes, even if you yeah. buy them at Costco. So that's a phenomenal bargain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then we have lots of collectors' things. Um, this one is uh, a a biography of someone named Richard Carvel, who I don't know at all, but it's written by. Winston Churchill. Wow. And it's got the, it's a the, beautiful the, book. The gold, the gold on, binding. On the yeah. Uh -huh. And we're selling this for three dollars. Oh my goodness. So some it, book dealer is going to scoop oh yeah, that up. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, it, it is a just not to mention. Uh huh. Not to mention that it is a great way to spend an afternoon. In, in air-conditioned loveliness. Oh, air-conditioned, because I used to go to it when it was up and outside in front of the uh, um, Ladder and Bloom oh, yes, right. uh, library. We are in the, the Lakefront Arena. It's a wonderful facility. There's free parking, lots of room. We can really spread th things out. And um, people do that. They come and they browse for hours and hours at a time. Well, I also think it's an, an incredible thing for children. Yes. Because I think that it could be life-changing. Mm -hmm. A child could pick up a book about something that they're sort of vaguely interested in right. and get pulled into that universe right. and learn something really significant about it and, and, and make a life choice. Yes, absolutely. And let me mention right now, on Sunday, the last day of our sale, at noon, we have a sale of all the leftover children's books. Children can come in and decorate a, a paper bag and fill it. For $5. Oh, I love that. So we make sure that all children's books get in, into the community. Mm -hmm. But that's really, you know, a big passion for me is to get more books into the community. We had this wonderful uh, book sale on the last day uh, at noon. We, all the children's books that are, that are, that are remaining um, are available to kids who have a parent with them. Um, uh, for $5 for a bag full. That is so great. So that is all just... the children's books get out, get out in yeah. the community. And I, that's when I really was a big reader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in kind of um, late primary school, junior high school, mm -hmm. early high school, that's when you still have kind of those windows of right, time, right. unlike later in right. life. We also have a, a, young, a young reader section, so like the chapter books for the kids that are a little bit older. Now, you've got some really sort of unusual um, items that pop up. Um, yeah. And, and so let, let's, let's just delve into some well, of these. Well, one um, area I wanted to cover, first of all, is cookbooks. We have a gazillion book cookbooks. But I found this one uh, just to show people. This one is called Spies, Black Ties, and Mango Pies, <laughs> Stories and Recipes, from our CIA families <laughs> all much. over the world. Is that perfect for right now? I know. And you know what's really amazing is that no no woman who put a, store, a recipe in here is listed as Mrs. James anybody. Interesting. There are actually no names attached to any of this, of course. Oh. <laughs> but it's, it's so different from the, the kind of church cookbook you often see. But um, probably it comes with little stories, too. I love bit. those old cookbooks that kind of tell oh, you. Oh, I do, too. You know, how we ate. 
Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. And these are people who were living all over the world, obviously. So, yeah, I'm just, I opened it to one page, and it's sweet rice with mango uh -huh. and um, teet bo luang za, lemongrass <laughs> beef. So, Excellent. yeah, beef with oyster sauce, herb oh, roasted, yeah. I'm getting hungry, Bo spicy fish, chicken with tofu, yum, we yum. Have, we, have, we have so many ch uh, cookbooks that people will find it. Whatever I just love for. this one. Though. I know. This is a fun... Christmas present for the so to give p things to people who have yes, everything and they you don't know what to get them present. to get a really oddball yes exactly okay and, and then we have all, all the usual you know James Beard and Julia Childs and um, all the local chefs are, are represented so it's mm -hmm. a really wide range but um, we have um, if you're into fiction we have a copy of Sweet Tooth and also of Nutshell by Ian McEwen who's my favorite author one of my favorites um, and Nutshell is his brand new book came out last year. Um, and then we have military history, things like Faces of the Civil War, which is a, a book about portraits from the Civil War of Union soldiers. So that was kind of a nice thing. Hmm. And um, I bet you could sell a few of those to some of the people who uh, didn't want those monuments. Well, to these come are down. actually the. the <laughs> no, Union I know, soldiers. I know it's Union. I, I was yes, being I was very ironic. careful about that. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. We yeah. also have ones that might be available, might be interesting to them too. But um, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then in Science and Nature, we have a book called Newton's Clock. It is the chaos in the solar system. That's what it's about. Oh, yeah. Um, the works of Rudyard Kipling are in Collectors. Um, so and for those people who don't know who Rudyard Kipling oh, yes. is, share that. Uh, he wrote The Jungle Book is his most famous book. Um, he, was, he was an Englishman, quite colonial, if you know what I mean. Um, but Lived in India? India, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and speaking of people that no one knows anymore, um, we have, we have a, a reference section that has some amazing things. But this is the Little Brown Book of Anecdotes, edited by Clifton Fadiman, who I remember, wasn't he one of those people that was on, like, What's My Line in the 50s? No, I don't remember him oh, at all. Oh, yeah. He was quite, quite mm -hmm. the literary person. But that's a great idea, too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But, we, but within the reference area, we have things like a book of Hawaiian... Uh, names so if you're choosing a name for your child and you want it to be hawaiian <laughs> we have that um, we have every just a, the most amazing minutiae that you can imagine that's so much um, fun the people who work at book fair are all volunteers and they are all bookies so you know, there are foodies and there are bookies and we are bookies oh although i guess bookies not really the right term that's a betting person but um anyway all <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, there has a new use at That's this right. point. Yeah. That's right. Look at this one on Charles Lawton. So yeah. Charles Lawton, married to actress Elsa Lancaster, which I didn't know. Oh, yeah. This once asked the hypothetical question, would you ever consider marrying again? Having answered emphatically in the negative, the actor was asked his reasons. During courtship, replied Lawton, a man reveals only his better qualities. After marriage, however, his real self gradually begins to emerge, and there is very little his wife can do about it. After a moment pause, he concluded... I don't believe I would ever put a woman through that again. <laughs> I love it, right? I love it. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, if you enjoy reading, if your kids enjoy reading, if you want to give books for the holidays, you know, and I would say event. even if you're even if you are not a bookie yeah, or right. a bibliophile <laughs> right. or you are in the habit of reading, to go to this fair, which I have done, mm -hmm. not a lot, not every year, but certainly I've done it, um, is just so much fun because you literally are exploring the world. Yes. The yes. whole world is, is, is there thing, in front of you. What's wonderful about it is because the prices are so low, 
you can afford to take a chance on a book. If yeah. a book's going to cost you fifteen to twenty dollars, as a, an author you don't know, that's a that's a risk. You know, but and these it, books you can you know you can try. And again, I would emphasize the idea of this being great, great early Christmas shopping. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to give books for Christmas yes. I, and, um, and all the holidays right. um, every year and mm-hmm. birthdays. Right. I mean, these are great birthday right. presents. So um, And all, all the proceeds of this, of this event go to the LPO, to the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra. So it, it supports our community arts. And goodness knows our arts need support. That's right. Because, That's right. as all my listeners know, because I whine about this on almost every show, right. we don't have enough money going into the arts That's in right. the city of New Orleans. That's right. And Cultural like said, center that we could have, should have, would have yeah. be. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, like I said, it's the 64th year, so we've been doing this. I actually was not there at the very beginning. I'm, I'm almost that old. <laughs> but I wasn't there. Um, and, um, uh, you know... These, these volunteers know what they're doing. They, they sort the books by category. So if you're a real, um, I don't know, a poetry and plays kind of person, you'll find all the poetry and plays in one place. Or if you're a hunter yes. or a gardener yes. or a chef. Yes, that's right. You right. know? Exactly. Or dealing with child care, um, a, a music time. lover, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. All of it. Symphony Book Fair, June 2nd through 4th. At the UNO Lakefront Arena. Okay, now let's talk parking. Oh, yes. Well, I always talk parking. Yes. Okay, uh, fair enough, because you're not going to be walking these books home. They get, they get heavy. Um, there is free parking uh, adjacent to the Lakefront Arena. Any of you who have gone to a basketball game or a concert there may remember some of that. No, no, that's really convenient. Yeah, it yeah. is. We're right at the corner of Leon C. Simon and Franklin Avenue. Out by the lake. Leon C. And, Simon and Franklin. Yes, okay. Yes. And um, it's very easy parking, and you can stay as long as you want. Website, symphonyvolunteers.org right. backslash book hyphen fair. Right. That's a pretty complicated website. I know. I know. It's hard to remember. Books.org would work a little better, I think. I know. I know. All right. Well, Phyllis Jordan, this has been a pleasure. And um, come and talk to me about books anytime. And, uh, yeah, I can take you up on your offer to um, uh, unload us of a few hundred. Okay. If you can convince my husband to give them up, because every time I've broached the subject with him, he just kind of looks the other way. I know. It's it's not easy to give up books. But you know what they say? If it's books, it's not really hoarding. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sure. Okay. (laughs) Phyllis Jordan, um, entrepreneur, entrepreneur. environmentalist, bibliophile, bibliophile, citizen of New Orleans. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Lakefront Symphony Book Fair, June 2nd to 4th, 2017. This year, 64th year at the Lakefront Arena. Take care, everybody. That's it for today. I look forward to talking with you next week. It's Jean Nathan, Crosstown Conversations on WBOK. Thank you.